Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. Now this week, we are continuing our, our let's give Chip lots of classic manga to deal with. <laughs> A trend. And so we're going back to our friend, Manly Manga. Although this is more boily manga, really? It is Common Writer by Shotaro Ishinomori. Seven Seas Entertainment has published a doorstop-sized 50th anniversary edition that is a hardcover. It is 800-something pages of rioter kicks and rioter jumps and whatever heck Common Writer wants to, I don't know, kick butt at. And it is quite the book. <laughs> Let's start out how you normally do with a little description of what Common Rider is. So Common Rider, the 50th anniversary edition, just came out in January. It was translated by Kumar Siva Subramanian. It is lettered by the inimitable Phil Christie and edited by J.P. Sullivan. It was really published in 1971 to 1972. And it was published about the same time as the Common Rider TV series, a tokusatsu series, which is like live action superhero series that aired on Japanese TV. Now, you might ask yourself, why did Deborah pick Kamen Rider? Well, <laughs> Kamen Rider and I go way back. <laughs> that aforementioned TV show aired on a Hawaii television, a Hawaii Japanese language t- TV station called Kiku TV. And I, I was at elementary school at the time, and Kamen Rider, Kikaider, all these tokusatsu shows were big hits in Hawaii. I remember going to school and you know, we would get the toys. I still have some common writer toys from the time. <laughs> we all wanted writer belts. We did the henshin moves. We did the, you know, people would jump off the stairs trying to do the writer kicks and stuff like that. It was a big deal. <laughs> so that's my that's my enduring love for common writer, despite having never read the manga until very recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like this fuzzy memory of this exciting TV show I saw when I was a kid. You know, things that you see when you're a kid are pretty special. <laughs> and when you look at them as when you're adults, maybe not as special, but still <laughs> touches your heart. So with that in mind, here's the description from Seven Seas. The original run of the legendary Common Rider manga, now in English as a special 50th anniversary hardcover omnibus. Fans the world over have been enthralled by the hails of Common Rider, the masked motorcycle riding superhero who protects the world from injustice kidnapped and experimented upon by the evil terrorist organization known as Shocker, Hongo Takeshi manages to escape their clutches and uses newfound strength to fight against their schemes. These are the first adventures in a legacy that spans dozens of television series and films written and drawn by the series creator and manga superstar creator, Shotaro Ishinomori. <laughs> we also have a shared history of Kamen Rider in that I basically dragged all of you <laughs> to Ishinomaki to visit two Chotaro Ishinomori museums. One is the Mangatan, which is the museum dedicated to the characters that he created. And the other one is his Furusato Museum in Atomia, which is about his, in his hometown and about him as a person. <laughs> yes, we went in November 2019. Before we could not go to, back to Japan anymore, as we are not. Mm. Before we were banned from the country for several years. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) 
So I wanted to ask you guys, well, I don't know who wants to start, but what, what were your experiences and impressions of Common Writer before we read this book? I kind of want Chris to go first. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a, I've been a manga, I was a manga retailer, comics retailer for a really long time. And I remember, I think I'm remembering this correctly. It's a long time ago. I remember Tokyo Pop was like, we've got a new manga and it's super cool. It's called Skull Man and we're going to release it. <laughs> and it's the inspiration for the hit Common Rider TV show. And it was like, what's a Common Rider? I have no idea what that is. They hadn't released the Common Rider manga to the best of my knowledge. And they were releasing something that was the inspiration for something like that meant something. And it didn't mean anything. And it was about a motorcycle riding Japanese superhero whose helmet was fashioned like a skull. It's awesome. <laughs> it's available. There's previews of it up on Comixology and a couple other places on the internet. But yeah, I actually checked it out. I was like, 70s manga is great. Like, it's wild. And then they ended up, Tokyo Bob ended up doing Cyborg 009, which I've got copies, a couple copies of on my shelf still, and a couple of other, I think, small things. Yeah, I was just like, wow, this has just such incredible energy. And that, along with some of the Viz reprints of some of Galaxy Express 999. Mm. Leiji Matsumoto. Yeah. Yeah, the Leiji Matsumoto and a couple of other, I actually uh, would go to Japanese bookstores that were in and around Toronto, and I would just grab random volumes of manga that looked good. I didn't speak any, read any Japanese at all, but I would get just the craziest, most like, and it was all like bins of stuff that had been like, we can't sell this in Japan anymore. Let's load this onto a container and just get it out of the country and <laughs> stuff. So I've got like a golf, a three volume golf manga where like, the villain of the first volume is maybe Jack Nicholas, like a nice. thinly disguised Jack Nicholas like parody character. I've got just like all the crazy stuff from like the like the sort of the trash stuff, not the like mainstream stuff that that didn't get sold in secondhand stores in Japan. Really neat stuff. So I had like a lot of old manga for a really long time, and when I thought this I was like, oh, finally something in English that I can read, and the energy still comes off the page. You know what I mean with Skullman? It was Cyborg Double O Nine especially. We went to the Ishinomaki Museum. I actually had been a couple of years prior because you had told me about your experiences of going and then other friends. I had been doing, I'd just been doing all the comics museums in Japan because that's a thing I do. I've been to the Suzuki Museum like four times and I'd gone to the Fujiko F. Fujio Doraemon Museum, which you have to take a bus to get to. It's, it's in the suburbs somewhere. And obviously the Ghibli Museum and a couple of other like manga important places. And it was like, oh, you've never been to the manga ton? And I'm like, what does that even mean? So I didn't know anything about it. And so I went there and I was like, oh man, this is, this guy's a guy. Like, this is like a real, this guy's real. This guy's for real. Like he's got a whole museum dedicated to him. It's shaped like a giant spaceship, like a, like a giant spaceship. <laughs> you know, like I can't, it's, it's just, it's shaped like a giant spaceship. And it was one of those moments getting there. And especially I actually, I actually went because it was after the 311 earthquakes. And I was like, uh -huh. I've got to get up into Tohoku now that things are reopening and I'm not just going to be some white guy bumbling through while everyone's trying to like rebuild their lives. It's like, no, please visit Tohoku, spend money. It's like done. I'm on board. So I did that. And you know, there was, it was, it was a really eye opening trip in a lot of ways. Like you, like suddenly you're like, Oh, this guy, like people talk about him, but like, he's the real deal. He's created all this stuff. So little of it is known in North America, except by super hardcore fans. And also this town where he grew up and where he was born and stuff is, tr is trying to rebuild and this like like it was just like a it was a heavy experience so going back with you guys actually in 2019 was nice because it was like oh they firmly rebuilt some things are like in a better place now and it was more of a like fun trip as opposed to like a 
like I sat in front of the train station waiting for my train, like having a cold drink and like really trying to process stuff the first time I went. The second time, I was actually just laughing because David was so cold. I was just like, stop. I felt so bad. It was incredible. We, we did go in November, late November. Really cold up north prepared, in Japan. But I left all my thermals in Tokyo and when we went to Hokkaido. Oh, that's why you was, were cold. Yeah, oh. I really paid myself. Okay. So, so, yeah, there's really fun pictures that we haven't put online of us like doing like rider poses in front of common rider statues and like all kinds of stuff. And some of the other, actually, we've put some into the show notes, but. Yeah, for me, it was like, oh, this guy's a really, like, really important dude. But I had never read a manga. I'd never read any of his manga that cemented that. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. just like the stuff we were getting was like, I had a lot of energy and it was really interesting. But like, there's no Phoenix. You know what I mean? There's no Buddha. There's no really big work that I've read that's like, this is why this guy is this guy. And it's just down to what gets licensed and what doesn't get licensed in North America. I like Cyborg 009 a lot. I like. I liked this all oh, spoilers. I actually really liked Common Rider a lot, but I, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of why he was so important until I started like really digging through on that last trip and buying a bunch of books I couldn't read again and, you know, slowly making my way through them over the last couple of years. And it's like, oh yeah, this guy's, this guy's for real. So I didn't really know much about Common Rider. I never watched the TV show. I never didn't really know much about Ishinomori Sensei at all. Now my eyes are, are pretty open and I'm really excited and, to find out more, especially having read this. Nice. If you want to watch more of the show, the Tubi app has at least the first season. And I think they have a YouTube channel now. Yeah, yeah I actually just watched too. the, uh, I sent you guys an email. I don't know if you got it, but I was like, I just watched the first episode of Common Rider. You guys have 25 minutes before the podcast starts. <laughs> totally watch it. I really want to talk about it with you guys later. Cause it's like, wow, comics. So good. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. That was my experience with it. I always, I always get, I get the sense that this kind of material, like David, I know you're a huge fan mm-hmm. of Cyborg 009, 009, right? Yeah. Were you as into Common Rider as well? Like, were you as aware of it? I was aware of it, but 009 was my like proper introduction to Ishinomori and kind of what made me love his work. And like the mm-hmm. short version of that is that if Common Rider was kidnapped by an evil organization and given superpowers and uses those powers to fight against the organization, 009 mm-hmm. is that, but like there's nine characters and they're all nine different kinds of cyborgs. <laughs> it's very yeah. direct. But it's similar, you know, like it talks about the ecosystem and things like that. But I knew about Common Rider because I was like nine years old when Power Rangers came out. Mm-hmm. And maybe like late ten or late preteens, early teens when I finally saw the the Giver. So oh, yeah. I was prepped for this kind of like rubber suit shenanigans yeah <laughs> but it was very hard to come by like i don't think i ever saw an episode of common rider when i was a kid it was one of those like you know mythical things like someone who was stationed overseas saw a common rider and it was this this and this and i don't even think i knew that it was an ongoing series with several variations mm. you know like i think 28 was like the last number i saw or something like that but yeah. like there's something very pure about this take on japanese superheroes where like, I think the American stuff I grew up on was very kind of commenting on and intentionally maturing, like the superheroes that came before it. Like, Chris Claremont mm-hmm. and X-Men is like a great example because there's like no civil rights metaphor in the Stanley and Jack Kirby stuff. And that's like a mm-hmm. core part of the X-Men, you know, when you talk to people about it. But this is just like, what if a superhero is just a superhero and he murdered his bad guys and it was fine? 
you know, very direct. <laughs> yeah, he had no like moral dilemma about it. <laughs> yeah, like the one time he does, he's like, "Oh man, that guy was innocent." Anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like at the beginning, like he's just surprised when he like karate chops a guy and his head almost yeah. comes off. He's like, "Oh wait, I'm strong." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and you know, super, American superheroes, it's very much like, "Don't kill, you'll be as bad as the bad guys." Yada yada yada. And like, there's a point to that, but like the moral lesson here is almost be angry about injustice more yeah. so than like follow these prescribed rules. And that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. But I think what makes Common Rider the coolest is that everything he does is easily imitatable on the playground. It's true. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> like it, I think that really goes a long way. Like when Power Rangers came out, when Ninja Turtles was really going, like there were ninjas, you know, in Power Rangers every at every recess infuriating teachers there's an insurance thing i have to interject here like yeah okay it got so bad in hawaii that they had the actual stars of these shows record a disclaimer (laughs) (laughs) they recorded a thing where it says hi i'm common writer please don't do this at home because you'll get hurt i don't know the exact wording but i remember that the, the, the japanese tv station here made them record that <laughs> wow and that is a beautiful thing like that is yeah. what kids need i feel yeah <laughs> healthy childhood and this carries a lot of that same energy it's barely written like it was clearly written chapter to chapter sometimes page <laughs> to page but there are so many different like cool moments or drawings or the way he leans on like the slow-mo multiple pictures effect yeah which yeah at first that I was cool was like photostat but like the drawings no. are different yeah they're tr- yeah. i know i did the same thing i'm just like <laughs> Like they're so so similar. He doesn't change them much at all, but he's like, yeah, he's still redrawing it. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so lightbox, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I would say that these are basic comics, but they're really fun. Like they're uncomplicated. Like you read yes. them, it's a superhero things happen. He saves the day. Yeah. And then if you keep reading, I'm not sure if we all read past the 200 page mark that I, Deb mentioned. Deb did. <laughs> I did. I did. So, like, the main character, spoilers, just dies 200 pages in. Yeah. Or, like, 250 pages in or something like that. And they replace him with a villain they just introduced. And it's such, like, it Uh, feels like fearless storytelling, but it happens because the actor in the TV show got hurt. and they That's right. (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Yes. He he broke his legs. Oh, my God. Halfway through the series. And so they have to replace him. And then he comes back. Yeah, so it's just a mess. And to think that this spawned such, like, I think franchise is too small of a... It's like a category of entertainment at this point. Like, tokusatsu rubber suit stuff. Like, it's really cool to see that. And also for, like, the raw material to be so fun, despite being, like, clearly for, like, eight-year-olds. So so this was... uh, This is what basically created Power Rangers. Is that what you're saying? Like, this was the first... Uh, This created a parallel track to power rangers one of his mm-hmm. other series created power rangers yeah okay of course he created a, a series called himitsu super sentai go ranger which means five rangers so that is also a storytelling archetype that has been continued yeah kikaido is another one cyborgs like what i really love about ishinawa is that he created what is basically a template that other people have built upon both yeah in, both yeah. in japan and internationally but it, when you look at the template, it looks so simple. Yeah. Mm. It's hard to appreciate, but it influenced so much. It's so yeah. funny because I've got no emotional connection to this kind of stuff at all because 
obviously I didn't watch television in Hawaii, so I, I didn't. <laughs> You're lost. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see Common Rider there, and yeah. I was too old for Power Rangers when mm-hmm. they were kind of a big thing, and same with Ninja Turtles. So like, I have there's nothing in my cultural wheelhouse except just my light mockery of the stuff because I was too old and too cool for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that made this an interesting read. I mostly brought it to the, this group because I, you know, because Chip, you're you're a creator of, of superhero stories. It's and, true. And I thought it was. I've always kind of felt like Hotaru Ishinomori's work. He's basically like your Jack Kirby of Japan. Like yeah. he he created a lot of the, a lot of the the storytelling ideals and characters like and so on. That, you know, the language of superhero comics. But at the same time, I find it really fascinating that. Uh, superhero comics are just not a dominant force in Japanese comics as they are in America. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the difference between Kirby and this creator, I think, is just that Kirby was constantly trying to come up with new things. Whereas in here, it's just like, oh, it's a man spider. Oh, now it's a man coyote. It's a man bat. I don't know. It's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, after the first three or four pages, like, all right, we're set. Let's just do this. It reminded me a little bit of the first year first couple of years of amazing spider-man where it's like spider-man would have a different animal themed villain to fight every week and like occasionally you'd get a mysterio but it's like lizard chameleon razorback uh, official mascot of the, uh, the first <laughs> year of spider-man he is not in the first year of spider-man <laughs> nice try no i know i know i'm just giving shit it's rev- revisionist yeah, like, history yeah yeah <laughs> maybe this is spider-man <laughs> chapter one christopher yeah <laughs> but they did get into like they have like the medusa character show up for example yeah and they do have like i'm worried uh, i really liked this yeah like i really really liked it and i'm worried that it's like normally i'd be the one to try and have some some of that same ironic distance or that like i'm better than this <laughs> that chip's talking about with kids properties but like man there's a sequence I don't have page numbers. I read this physically and I didn't screen cap it like I usually would. Mm-hmm. If I was reading digitally, but there's a sequence where he stabs the Batman. Sorry, Man Bat. Man sorry. Bat. Mm. Both are trademarked. It's a bat. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> bat powered shocker bad guy. Yeah. Stabs him through the wings, right? Yeah. And like with this like spear that the guy can't reach to get out of his own wings, which is actually kind of funny. <laughs> and so he's got to like run away at like top speed. So he gets on his bike and goes after him. And it, from him getting on the bike to when he catches up to him is like nine pages <laughs> of him riding the bike and looking badass, like like two panel page, full page spread, double page splash, splash page, two panel page, double page splash. It's awesome. Yeah. Like you're reading these comics and it's so visceral and immediate and like awesome. And that it was just like, Oh my god, this guy's a legend. Like this guy's a legend. <laughs> yeah. Where where has this been? Like why I would have loved if, if so all of a sudden, you know, hopefully it wasn't Danzig publishing it because who knows, but like <laughs> I'm reading superheroes. I'm super into superheroes. I'm loving them and all of a sudden it's like, all right, here you go. Here's Common Rider and it's got like nine consecutive nearly splash pages or better. And you're just like, this is insane. Like imagine some kid reading this and then 50 pages later, imagine some kid watching him get shot to death like actually dying and getting replaced <laughs> by a different dude. And then his brain lives on in a jar and communicates with the new common writer using like radio telepathy or something. Sure. I don't know. They kind of, 
they kind of hand wave a lot of the the special yeah, stuff that they work like for the, Batman the, the, the science fiction. Yeah, but it's just like, man, this comic honestly just kicks ass. Like it and li- like literally like kicks. I mean, it mostly kicks arms off of the bad guys, but <laughs> it's so good. Like I I loved it, and I I read the whole thing in a sitting, and I couldn't stop. Li- I had to go to the bathroom. I just kept reading. It was awful. It was like great, but it was it was anyway. So yeah, so that's <laughs> I guess we didn't get to takes, but. Man, like, there's no ironic distance for this. I'm not saying this in like, like how I don't know. I kind of just wrote the Devilman show notes yesterday, and I was like remembering my reaction to Devilman as reading. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they get away with that. But I actually lost myself in Common Rider versus having that distance in Devilman. Yeah, like I was shocked when they shot him. Like actually shocked, not like, oh, I see what they're trying to do from a storytelling perspective here. And I was not expecting that. I was expecting to like, like on Origin, like Devilman, not like Nausicaa, because I'm just a weeb. But like a lot of the classic <laughs> manga we've been reading, I expected to have that distance, have that distance of time and irony, and we're all much more mature and we're telling different kinds of stories now. And instead, it's just like so direct and like hits a point in my brain that I think I've always wanted in comics. I was just going to say, like, you're talking about that chase sequence just reminded me of him dropping to the earth. Oh, I have that is, flag too. Oh <laughs> which eight is like, of that. It's like eight pages of that, like just like the coolest layouts and shots. And then just that the the one page where it's just from his perspective of the city getting closer. Yeah. Yeah, the the zoom in, which so, we can do now. So beautiful. With Google, but yeah, but like just I mean like nineteen seventy uh, he did that. This guy clearly enjoys drawing architecture too, because like any architecture shot is gorgeous here. But I love that it's yeah. just like this whole build up. And then he's just like, he spins and then he just like gently touches his foot to the ground and he's fine. Yeah. I love it. There's no yeah. trick. He just, there's wins. no trick. <laughs> he's yeah. just like, Nope, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do a nice cool spin. And then that's that. I mean, some of it feels like, you know, obviously like we talked about in devil man, this is a guy who's doing a weekly comic series on a deadline, trying to keep up with a TV series. Yeah. So he's doing a lot of double page spreads and he's best stretching shit. It's just yeah. like page count. But it works. But at the same time, it's just it's exciting to see because I don't normally see this kind of decompressed storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That where he's just like capturing the action and the motion, you know, like what you would see from a TV show. And maybe that's the immediacy of like it also was adapted as a TV show almost simultaneously. So yeah. there's that different sense of visual storytelling that he does. But also I think Ishinomori is just a visual genius in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like his, his yeah. he's kind of like Tezuka. He was an assistant to Tezuka on during Astro Boy, and he also was a mentor to Gonagai, who was who was his assistant. I when I've read about Ishinomori, he said he was just like a, a artistic prodigy as a kid, and that his his curiosity and drive to create a different type of visual storytelling, like showing time and space and action in yeah. different ways you can just see his brain just going like find trying to find all these different ways to express this mm-hmm. it's really it's so, fun yeah it's so good and like you know you talk about the decompression the fact that we followed nausicaa with this <laughs> oh god <laughs> like like retroactively it makes nausicaa just look like garbage <laughs> no <laughs> yeah so mean it does so it, mean i a hundred percent nausicaa is just like ugh. Like this is comics. 
this is fun, big. They're doing things with time and space and panels. Like they did, there was nothing being done in Nausicaa that was interesting in terms of like storytelling. I, I I'd say. And, you, and you're talking specifically about like the mechanics of comics storytelling. Yeah, yeah. I, like I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Nausicaa is like literally. I've got ideas and I'm trying to get them onto the paper as quick as I can in as many small panels. As yeah, possible. and I only have twenty sheets of paper. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the store is closed. Uh, I can't go get more paper. <laughs> That's Nausicaa. And I love that about Nausicaa, but I, I've actually felt like for the whole week, like man, that Nausicaa episode we recorded sucked. I that was terrible. <laughs> what? Yeah. It was all me. It wasn't you guys. It was like just like oh man, I. I did not engage their criticisms. I just like was like, I love Nausicaa. No, that's but, like, fine. Yeah, I was it's okay. About it. It's like reading this is is like it. This actually, this eight hundred page volume took me less time to read than the hundred and fifty page <laughs> Nausicaa that we read last week. I was just paging through it so quick. But you're right; it's a different thing, man. Like this is comics. Like this is comics, comics, and yeah. not just superhero comics, and not just manga. But like, man, this dude loves telling stories on a printed page yeah. and Miyazaki his work does not feel that is he comes alive in animation for sure yeah, we yeah. talked a lot about people who make comics because they love drawing people who make comics because they have a story they need to tell yeah and I think by mm-hmm. Miyazaki's own admission Nausicaa was a comic he made because he needed to tell the story for animage I think mm-hmm. yeah but even just reading this back to back I had the same thought as Chip because sometimes there's eight panels a page and like that's like a crowded page but it still feels not that claustrophobic yeah. In, yeah. in this book. But there's so many shots that are like, oh, this is comics. Like, here's here's a good zoom. Here's a good reaction shot. All the cityscapes, all the computer stuff I'm a sucker for. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the computer is just so good in that, eh? Yeah. Like, Leiji Matsumoto does that stuff, too. It's, it's like, 71 was probably before Marvel started its, like, exploitation vibe. I guess Luke Cage was starting to come out. But, like, Paul Galassi hadn't hit, hit yet. Yeah. Yeah, Jim yeah. Starlin was on the way. Like this is all part of like a continuum of comics getting weird for me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and I think that actually one reason maybe why this hasn't taken off in the U.S. is that it's not as sophisticated as the Marvel books of a similar era. So people who are looking for superhero comics were looking for like fourteen plus. Well, this is still like ten plus. You know? Yeah. But keep in yeah. mind too, like in this edition, and what what I also want to point out too that that's different than. Okay, so back up. Mm-hmm. Ishimori Pro, the the management company, I guess, of Shotaro Ishimori's estate, published several of this series on Comixology as digital-only releases, like Skullman and Kikaider and Kamen Rider and so on. And so some people have asked me, what is the difference between this version that we're ta- discussing today, the Seven Seas version, and that version? And one is that Besides the beautiful color pages in the front, which we'll probably get into later, <laughs> there are some additional stories in the back that were originally published. There says Disneyland edition, and then there's mm. a part that says published in a kindergarten book. So <laughs> there are versions of common Rider stories that were designed expressly for elementary school kids. Oh. I love that. Mm-hmm. Kamen Rider is actually considered to be you know, Hideaki Anno, notwithstanding, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's working on the new Shin Kamen Rider movie. But it was most—it's mostly designed for young kids, like ten and younger, mm. twelve and younger. I mean, Kamen Rider as a franchise sells millions of dollars per year yeah. in just pure yeah. merchandise and toys. There's a new Kamen Rider show almost every year. Tokusatsu is a formula where there's the the hot guy. 
which serves two purposes. One is to excite the kids. Other is to excite the kids' moms. <laughs> that does explain Takeshi Hongo. Yeah. He's like still around, mm. the original actor. Oh, yeah. He's, they, come, they come to Hawaii and they do autograph sessions, you know? <laughs> His legs are fine. I'm watching that, I'm like, this is a handsome man. This is a handsome, <laughs> handsome man playing with Kamen Rider. And so once they figured out this formula, they just ran with it and ran with it and ran with it. And props to you, Ishinomori Pro. Yeah. So I did a little bit of show notesy research before we started this one because I felt like I got caught with my pants down a little bit on Devilman and I was just like discovering things mid podcast in Google. <laughs> and so just like to get this out of the way, the Common Writer TV show started off as an, a, an adaptation of his previous comic, which was called Skull Man, which he also was a one volume book that he did in 1970. And they were like, oh, Skull Man maybe isn't going to be going to fly for kids on daytime television. <laughs> what? How? And so they got Ishinomori to redesign the character. So Skull Man is another like helmeted motorcycle riding bad guy fighting like or good, like kind of weird looking good guy fighting against a shadowy organization. So he redes he filed off the edges. He like turned all the guys to have animal themes, that kind of thing. Common Rider, he's modeled after a grasshopper because that's like a it's in a lot of Japanese folktales and traditions and things like that. And it's sort of like spiders, you know, in Spider-Man in North America. Right. So his manga, this manga that we read actually began simultaneously with the show. The show is okay. like based on skull man. He was involved with like putting together like story ideas and things like that. But the comics, the ones that we're reading are his take on the same stories. So it's actually a lot closer to something like the Evangelion manga by Yoshiyuki Satomoto that we've mentioned a couple times in the podcast where it was like based on the same outline, but he's doing this in parallel. So he gets to tell his version of the story and it's, I like it better. <laughs> I, it doesn't do some things as well, obviously. And that first episode of Kamen Rider is awesome. Like everyone is lit only across the eyes. Like it's like, it's a spiritual successor to the Batman television show in a lot of ways, but like serious, like a serious version of that. It's like applying yeah. the Godzilla monster formula to Batman 66 a little bit. Wow. But much yeah. less corny. Like very yeah. childlike earnest, you know? <laughs> and you would actually like like and it's real superheroes too. Like at a moment he like crushes something with his hand and breaks it and he's he's like shot in profile looking down and thinking, I'm not even a man anymore. Yeah. I'm a like <laughs> what am I? I'll never be able to fit into society. Like it's pure Marvel comics. <laughs> yeah. Like and, you know, the fact that the first two villains in this book are Spider-Man and, sorry, Man-Spider and Man-Bat <laughs> is, like, a nice little wink and a nod to American superheroes, which I think this takes I mean, the last villain in the sure. book is Mandrilla, so I feel like that's very, very <laughs> close to another Marvel villain. Mm. <laughs> I thought, what I thought was fascinating, too, is, like, you don't you have to get to page 525 for there to be an actual comprehensive explanation of what Kamen Rider's powers actually are. Oh, yeah, he's mm. completely making it up. Every time they mention something to do with the plot, it's the first time they mentioned anything to do with that aspect of the plot. Like the yeah. G project partway through, the way his motorcycle charges him up right before he gets killed. He's like, oh, I can't drive fast, so I can't get full power. And then he gets shot. It's, yeah. it's sort of exhilarating. I didn't even know the part about, like, in his belt, there's like a little fan there. Like, yeah. 526, it says... It's a it's a wind gauge or an energy barometer. It's like what? You mean all those times when he's riding on the motorcycle and talking about the wind? There's a meaning behind that. I thought it was <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <poetry. laughs> <Me too. laughs> so. 
No, this makes it really explicit. He gets his powers from the wind somehow, which is fine. Yeah. But like, yeah. And I, I read this knowing that he was doing this the same time as the TV show is that like, he'd tell a story and it would take like a hundred pages, which is like five weeks in that time, five episodes, monster of the week episodes have aired of the TV show. Mm. So every time he starts a new story, there's a ton of backstory that the kids who are also watching the TV show have that he has to incorporate in a flash. And so you get these things like a full page explanation of his suit or like with a cutaway or like a cutaway diagram of his helmet up close, which is like so awesome. I love that kind of diagrammatic shit when they put it into comics as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I love it now, obviously, but (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a whole other, this is yeah. Like he's doing it at the same time and gets to he it's 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 like it really is a companion piece to the live action, but it also gives so much more depth to what's happening in the live action episode. Like even that first episode with the spider, it was twenty five minutes and it's like over a hundred pages in this book. You know what I mean? That's so wild the idea of these being kind of near simultaneous. Like has anything like that mm. happened in North American comics? There's something happening right now. I just oh, yeah. About. Mark Miller with his Netflix stuff. Oh, really? Really? Tell yeah. me more. Well, because well, he has all these like kind of Netflix shows, but he's also he's putting out comics like just before, oh, during, yeah. like, oh. I, I don't Jupiter's know. Legacy had a sequel to the Netflix show, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, like but, he kind of announces them both at the same time now. Like, there's a TV show and a comic coming. and But hmm. then he's created the comic ahead of time. This feels... Common writer feels more like well, flying without a net. He, I don't think he's creating the comics ahead of time. I'm, oh, maybe really? ultimately, like because he works for Netflix now. Like he makes oh. TV shows and he also makes the comics still for a reason that I don't quite understand. But <laughs> maybe this is the reason. He gets to tell the story 100 percent his way, right? Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I didn't think Hollywood would allow that kind of like that little lead time between writing something and filming something and. Re- I bet if you just have the idea in like a strong pitch, like an outline for a story, they can run with the TV or movie version. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And you can fill in the blanks in the comic. But that actually reminds me of something that I appreciate about Ishinomori's work is that it's so like four 10 year olds, as Ndep was saying. <laughs> yeah. That when mm. you make it mature, it's almost like a blank canvas to do any kind of story you want. Mm. Because mm. there's a Skullman animation that came out. Over here, like 2007 or something like that. Wow. But it's basically, it's almost like X-Files in tone. Like very much investigating this creepy town where there's like murders happening. And it sort of escalates into a common Rider-esque story where someone has to put on a mask to save the day. <laughs> and it's not as good of a reinvention as something like Devilman Crybaby. But it's in that same kind of lane where it's like, this is one for people who grew up on this thing. Kind of want to see it mm-hmm. a little bit more mature. There's been 30, 30 iterations of Common Writer <laughs> yeah. as, as a TV show. And I was trying to figure out like what's the connecting thread between it. And it basically the theme is about a guy who gets these superpowers that he got from the, the enemies he's fighting, where he's using the powers he gained from the, his enemies against them. Of everything after that, besides the motorcycle and the mask and whatever <laughs> else, is up to grabs. In fact, like I think there's a current. Common Rider Revice, which includes a female Common Rider who is a sister. Nice. A lady Common Rider. <laughs> yeah. 50 years later, there's a lady Common Rider. <laughs> a friend was telling me that there are a couple Common Riders who are themed after Man Bat and Man Spider as a throwback to the first like series. <gasps> is that right? <laughs> oh, really? Cool. 
But actually, the last fan sub series I watched was Kamen Rider Forza. I don't think I made it all the way to the end, but it was the 2011 Kamen Rider where the theme was space flight because it was the 50th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's flight. Mm-hmm. So it was like they had a base on the moon. It was all about friendship. There were It was very toyetic. That's the other sort of mm. thing that doesn't come up in this volume that we read as much. Mm. But they all have special belts or like accessories that let them transform into Kamen Rider now. Instead of like changing yeah. clothes like some kind of human being. <laughs> it's kind of like Star Wars, right? In that I feel like Kamen Rider and Star Wars have some, one thing in common is that sometimes they are, their plot is driven by toy manufacturing. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Man too. The way like his armor just kind of comes on now. Like that's a, that's a Henshin thing I feel. Yeah. yeah. And it's oh, so yeah. you can sell like the models and the pull apart toys and things. I don't know, Chip, like when you're, when you're reading this, you know, this is superheroes, a, a different approach, a different perspective on it, a different audience even. How does it make you feel? Or like, what <laughs> do, do you take anything from it? Or does it make you go, what the hell? <laughs> well, I guess all of the above. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm trying to relate it to early Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. And the early Marvel stuff seems to have more going on than, than this. So I still gravitate more towards that. But yeah, we've already talked about like kind of just the layout and the, the pacing here, which is far superior to the Marvel stuff. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild. It, I, I find this a, a very strange book because like I can't recommend it to anyone. Like I can't oh. recommend it to a 10 year old because mm. it's filled with murder. Uh. The cultural morgue <laughs> have changed since 1971. Yeah. I can't recommend it to an adult because it, it skews too young, but I can maybe recommend it to like adults who have seen it all. Right? Like <laughs> like Chris. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, exactly. That understand comics and mm-hmm. comic art and stuff who would appreciate uh, what this is going for. It's kind of like when you're when you're a kid, you love like Archie comics, and then you don't like Archie comics, and then as an adult, you look at them and appreciate <laughs> like how well done they are. Yeah, yeah. That that's how this kind of feels to me. Like I can be like, oh, this is really well done. I don't. I'm not taking anything emotionally from it. I'm not like, wow, this is the best comics. Like, ah, oh, I'm really into it because I'm not ten. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I appreciate it more than probably all the the retro books we've been looking at recently. Mm-hmm. Really? Well, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like like Nausicaa? No, get out of here. <laughs> Devil Man? Like uh, Devil Man comes close. Like there's a lot of fun stuff in there, but it's it's too poorly done in a lot of ways to kind of reach this level. Mm-hmm. What else have we done? I think oh, we did Gundam the Origin. It. Gundam yeah, yeah, Gun- Gun- Gundam the Origins. Like there are parts of that I like, but like, but I just found a lot of the the, the drawings just too confusing. Mm-hmm. So this is very simple yet detailed, evocative. Like there's a very strong understanding of how a page should look and where to mm-hmm. where to bring the eye that some of the previous books don't have. So I, I, I very much appreciate it on a technical level. I don't know what is up with manga from the 70s, but they cannot draw the human body. And I don't, it's blowing I my mind. I was going to point out a 
spread for that. Page 242 is like the best drawing of a dirt bike and the worst drawing of a body. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. 242. Let's see this. It's oh, my. Oh. Like the brushy wheels, like the great. Oh, it's super on the cool. Bike. And then look at his foot. And it's like, oh. wait, how big is this guy? Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. And any shot of him just without his sh- shirt on or whatever, like the muscles make no sense. It's like they're like stretch Armstrong figures. Where there's no actual muscle definition, you just kind of bend it in whatever direction. Yeah. Just wait till we get to boys' love. <laughs> okay, good. I actually want I wanted to talk about that a little bit because there was a thing in this that made me like reconsider my appreciation of the art. When it was something he said, and it was like the sort of big green dots on Common Rider's costume are supposed to be analogous to his pectoral muscles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no one on Earth's pectoral muscles are shaped that way. Like, literally, no one. And the fact is, those two big the two big dots, and then when you see him with his shirt off on 285, it's like, oh my god. Like, this dude does not know what muscular dudes <laughs> look like with their shirts yeah. off. Like, he just doesn't. And we have our own, in North American comics, <laughs> our own weird, crappy deformations of the human body in superhero comics, sure. especially that sort of go in a different direction than this. Yeah. But like, it's still wrong. Yeah. But the thing that is really exciting to me about this art is you look at that, that shot of his body on 285 and it's just like, it's, it's a transitional kind of illustration, especially the illustration on the previous page. He's moving from this sort of rubberized limb, deeply, animation influenced illustration that tezuka came up with that defined all of manga all of manga looked like tezuka give or take whatever tezuka was doing at the time and he is like transitioning away where it's like all of a sudden he's got a character who's a heroic character who's more than five heads tall he's nine heads tall and it's not (laughs) proportioned correctly but it's really different and he's got these there's still some rubberized like animation influenced illustrations here but on top of it He's layering on so much realistic hatching. Like that common rider mask is always glinting. Like there's so much tiny hatching. There's no, like there's very little tone used at all. It's only used as like flat blocks. And it's all like, especially the really beautiful, like full page spread stuff. It's just like, it's these rubberized, not quite right human forms with intense detail layered on top of them. Yeah. And it creates something that's unlike anything I've seen in comics. It seems like a transitional work. And I know his work used to look almost identical to Tezuka. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like he came out of that school for sure. And I know his later stuff was a lot more, was a lot different and caricature-y. But, you know, people want the hits. And it's like, this is what it looks like maybe when you, (laughs) you age up, you make mature a popular series by like layering like detail and stuff like that onto it. But at the end of the day, it's still superhero comics. You know what I mean? Like it's still kids adventure stuff. But whatever's going on here, like it hits, it hits, it hits the funny bone in the right way from, you know what I mean? Yeah, like not the yeah. funny bone. But the, like, it's like, I feel like it's like when nerds see Alex Ross paintings that recreate <laughs> their favorite superhero covers from like the 1940s. Like when Alex Ross goes all in on like a justice society thing and it's going to take this frankly ridiculous thing. And if you look at it, it's like all of these people that are realistic painted on this cover in these costumes would look not even like circus performers, but like completely like crazy people in the real world <laughs> that I have painted. But because it's an homage and because it's using this like existing idea, people who that's for, it's what they've always wanted. They've always wanted their superhero comics to look exactly like Alex Ross is painting them. 
when he does, especially when he does like a recreation. And I kind of feel like this is like this is like the mature shonen action hero before someone gets on the scene that mm, David, this is just for you. Yeah. It's the difference between the muscular dudes that Bronson draws in Fist of the North Star and the muscular dudes that get drawn into JoJo's by Rocky Sensei. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like they both come out of the same place in the early JoJo's stuff. Like you, they were ran in the magazine at the same time, but all of a sudden, like a, a, fl- a switch flips, and like JoJo's turns into like how people like a more realistic kind of drawing coming out of this like deeply influenced by Fist of the North Star space. Mm-hmm. And this is like the transitional work between drawing cartoon kids comics, like kids cartoony comics, and drawing something that looks like a real live live action superhero show which is what is airing at the same time it is a fascinating work for that like i there are uh, the show notes are gonna be so long there's panels and panels and panels where it's like look at how he draws this hand and it's just like four rubberized lines and then look at the leather jacket that he's wearing that it's the hand is attached to and he probably spent an hour cross hatching the shit out of that jacket there's no solid blacks Mm. it's all hatches to create a shimmering rippling effect it's just yeah, it's it's amazing to me. Like just as like a piece of craft, yeah. I'd kill to see the original art for this. I've never seen even in the museum, there's like seven or eight Ishinomori comics pages, but nothing from this, nothing that looked like this. It was all sort of cartoony and Tezuka like. The if you look at the spreads on page five oh two and five oh three, and then the following spread on five oh four and five oh five, you can kind of see that mix of styles you're talking about mm. where like a blushing character is just kind of a round face with lines drawn across it. You know, kissing people, very direct, huge eyes. And then on the next page, there's like a super realistic lady drawn, you know, in a waterfall and super realistic boats. And all this has to exist in kind of the same realm, like the cave, the rocks are very realistic compared to the characters. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, I'm really, I love his, how he uses blacks and whites in really dramatic ways, like in Mm -hmm. 64, um, 63, 64, 65, 60. Like, like the one where the spider is like on all his hands out and he spews like the webs on him. Yeah, it's, it's really so gorgeous. <laughs> then it's also like gross. then he jumps up, you know, like when he rider jump and he like escapes the webs. I mean, these are not the usual visual solutions for these sequences. Yeah, and I respect that intensely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is, but this is what I'm talking about. So that that double pitch spread is honestly gorgeous. I'm gonna put it in the show notes for sure. And it's like, if you just, if you just look at it, if you read it at the speed that you read comics, the spider is actually drawn. He's like, he's a grotesquerie. He's like a spider man. Uh, he's like a spider character. So he's supposed to look kind of awkward and weird, which is great. And then when he's like, got the webs on him, just like scroll down to the bottom of that page. And it's like, his butt is basically a sphere. Like the dude <laughs> didn't draw a human butt on Common Rider. Yeah. He drew a like animation Tezuka, like, whoop, like circle. But he's got this otherwise like beautifully detailed, realistic, like these wispy spider webs. And it's just like it's 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 crazy to me that like he doesn't mm, it's a little bit like this. We talked about storytelling in, in um, Phoenix when Chip read the wrong book. Uh. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like he's going along and he's telling a story. And all of a sudden there's like a musical interview where all the wolves that are about to eat them do like a song and dance number. And it's like Tezuka has not figured out how to incorporate serious themes into the kinds of comics he knows how to, how to make, right? This is the same thing, but on an artistic, like on just, just talking about the art I feel is like, 
he's got all these advanced techniques and these rendering styles and these things that he's trying to do, but it's still on top of these bodies that he, that he's been drawing for his whole life, right? Like he's been drawing this way at this point in 71 for 16 years, maybe after the war, 15 years, he's a child prodigy. It could even be longer. And it's like, yeah, it's, that's what a butt looks like from behind. It's just a sphere <laughs> with legs coming out of it. And you're like, no, that's not what a butt looks like. But also, oh my God, that spider you drew on the same page. The Spider-Man is beautiful. See, I, I took that page to be the spider webs is so terrifying that he's just filling his diaper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good interpretation. You know what? They, that this is, takes away or gives more credit to Shinori. Yeah. I can't tell. A but. weirdly appropriate segue, maybe. But I kept thinking of reading Raw Hero for the podcast while reading this. Oh, yeah? Tell me why. Because Raw Hero is kind of, it grew out of the ground that was fertilized by this book. Like a lot of the tropes, a lot of the costumes, the animal characters having weird like accents, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But it's, Raw Hero is just on the other end of the maturity spectrum, but at the same level of like juvenilia, I feel. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so much of this the storytelling, I think his limitation is I can only draw what can be actually reproduced in a TV show <laughs> of, of a of a limited budget. There's no CGI. This is nineteen seventies, by the way. And mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's not a fancy motorcycle, it's a standard motorcycle. <laughs> and it's you know, it's I sometimes think you know, like sometimes people create comics or visual stories because Anything's possible in comics, right? You whatever you can draw, it can be. But in this case, I feel like he he had like whether he was super conscious of it or not, his limitations on the storytelling is what can be accomplished in the real world as a tokusatsu show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, they don't quite make it. I like this so much that I was like, oh no, I don't trust my opinion anymore. So. <laughs> I love, I love yeah. it too. No, I showed Andrew the first episode, and we went, we sat and watched it together. And he's like, "That was amazing." And I'm like, "The manga's better." He's like, "I don't see how that's possible in 1971." <laughs> and I showed it to him, and, and I showed him all the stuff we've been talking about—the like the staccato. He used a good word because he's smarter than me, but he like the staccato rhythm of like the like moment to moment like panels that are used, like when he's getting on the bike and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh my God, it is better. Like, it's exactly that sort of like, and I was like, and in the comic, the Spider-Man has four arms, but in the show, he only has two because they didn't have the budget to make two more prosthetic arms. And he's like, that's not important. It looks really good in the show, but this looks better in different ways. And it's like, yeah, that makes no the sense show in the show. Like why, how can he be a Spider-Man if he doesn't have extra arms? He's only got six arms in this. He should have eight appendages. Oh, I It's see. a spider. He's not a bee, although that comes later, apparently, in a show only. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was so blown away by the art in this. I was like, and it, towards the end, actually, and this is something Deb, well, sorry, and David, you read to the end too, right? I read like 500 pages. I was almost to the end. Oh. Oh no, you weren't. You were three hundred pages from the beginning. I was more to the end. Was to the beginning. (laughs) So there's a double page spread. So of course there's an evil horse. There's real evil horses. I want to talk about the dog too. The dog is there's an evil dog at a certain point with a Medusa character. Yeah, yeah. That again looks like it's drawn like it's it's right of nineteen nineteen fifties. Yeah, Tezuka animation. And then the horses also look like they're from a different book than the rest of the characters, but in a really 
fun cartoony way rather than looking too realistic like a lot of the backgrounds sometimes Wait, do the centaurs so there's like angry horses on horses? page 7 716 oh okay. and oh yeah that's a very tezuka horse it looks drawn differently doesn't it oh yeah oh yeah it's <laughs> great and then even when you flip forward and that like there's a page where the bikes are getting away from the horses on 720 a couple pages later and the horses in that panel are drawn slightly less cartoony and more realistic because the bikes are so realistic looking like it they wouldn't fit in the same world anymore. I think there's something there where you're like, you're in a Shonen manga magazine in 1970. Kodansha published it. I can't remember which one it was. It was Shonen Action or something like that. And it's like, there's a, there's a house style. There's a way that you have to draw at that point to be a successful kids comic. And I feel like, yeah, this, this feels like he's butting up against it. And it feels like the TV show is pulling it in a more realistic direction because he gets to see his ideas, his story ideas and his characters and things like that and what they would actually look like in the real world. And it pulls his really cartoony work into a more realistic place. And it's it's just so neat. Such a neat artifact. Well, like on 660, right? 660, there's this drawing of Kamen Rider jumping. And it's it looks like it's just an ink drawing of a photo from the TV show. Mm. Yeah, oh, 660 yeah. is crazy. That's, yeah, that's post, wild. Too. There's a character in one of the short stories that where the character has a nose kind of like looks like a block of tofu. And, and it's very it's very much like a Tezuka character. Look at look at look at six sixty again and then go to six sixty one. Mm. Like it goes from that super detail to like probably the one of the most cartoony looking pages I've seen in this. Yes. Yeah. This story and onwards from the end of the book look like what I expect Shotaro Shinomori manga to look like. Yeah. They actually look like cartoony, rubbery, et cetera, et cetera, kind of, kind of illustration, which I love, like no, no shade, but yeah. yeah, like the fact is that he as an artist is clearly trying to stretch, you know, himself, which is really on the page. I can say, I'm I, the, the printed, by the way, you guys using digital or are you guys looking at the print? I know digital. Devin and I have the physical book. Digital. digital. Okay. Well, the physical book is like, a monster <laughs> yeah and also really expensive it's like 40 at least 41 canadian oh yeah it's 32.99 us 40 40.99 in canadian yeah on everything except for the backup material i actually think because i actually i buy the digital version as well so I, it's easier to make show notes because i can just screen grab stuff but everything except for the bonus material the like disneyland comic and stuff is beautifully reproduced too like this is actually i think it looks better on the printed page as manga than it does in digital. And I don't usually care, honestly. Like I like reading physical books, don't get me wrong, but I think that there's something about the way that the ink lays on the page. It like just gives it sort of a, a life and a body. But I've talked a lot about things that I like. So I hope that whoever is still listening to the podcast after I shat all over parts of Devilman last week from Seven Seas is like favorable. But like, yeah, the reproduction in a lot of the bonus material is like a little dark and too muddy. Mm. If you go to eight nineteen in particular, I haven't compared it to the digital yet, but like it's pretty, it's pretty muddy. This yeah. beautiful man spider of shocker story that's like a the third retelling of that story. So I don't love that. And also, there's literally that nothing that explains what the Disneyland manga is yeah. or what the kindergarten manga is. Just like Devilman, there's no essay. There's not even like an editor's <laughs> note or anything like yeah. that. And I know that Chip got on my ass in the Devilman episode for this, but like, if you're doing an archival project, you need to treat it like an archival project. Like, you need to have some standards about explaining this material and where it came from. And I don't know. Uh, who gives? First, who gives a shit? <laughs> I do. 
<laughs> I am so glad that this this hardcover version has the color intro pages because they are gorgeous. Yeah. Like the, oh, I don't know. Are they? Chip, are they? Feel? Are they gorgeous? Chip. I love them. I mean, you know what? Like they are. They're they're very detailed. <laughs> like, it, but the, the, like the scene where he's getting shocked with the red. Like when you compare that to the black and white version of that same page, there's it's so much more beautiful as as a color page. Oh God, yeah. And then the intro, like how he intros, like you know, Takeshi Hongo is on the examining table and how he's the colors, the swirl of of circles. I think that's a really inventive way of showing like this guy is on an operating table and hallucinating yeah. a little bit. I mean, this is these are clearly pages he cared and spent a lot of time on and didn't have as much time and care to spend on some of the other pages. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love it. See? Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things like you can tell there's a lot of definitely a lot of care put into the color on these pages. But just again the decision making mm. is what I have issue with. Like well, I'm looking at page seven right now and it's like common rider, pre common rider, whatever, mm. on his bike, looking behind him at the car. His outfit is blue. The background is the same color of blue, and the car is being colored with that blue. Mm. Like nothing, <laughs> it doesn't help anything, these choices. It's like a wicked tangent with his glove as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, they're not afraid to do emotional coloring either, because when the car actually hits the bike and he goes flying, the backgrounds turn like red and yellow and like speed lines, and, and there's some great emotional coloring there, and the whole sequence could have been colored that way. And maybe just do like a realistic thing, like view when it's just from what's his name's point of view, like the old dude. Yeah. But like, yeah, the operating table stuff and the fact that like the emotional coloring on him when he gets shocked and it's all red or the next page when his like body is in that like deep orange red against the black background. So good. I actually really like it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some the fun region. stuff in there. But again, it's like, yeah, there's just there's limitations in terms of color theory. Mm. And his black and white is honestly so good yeah so good. yeah as soon as i switch to black and white i'm like oh i love this yeah. yeah i posted on twitter a comparison of that color page where he's getting the electric shock with the red and compared it with the version that the ishimori pro previously published and you can see the difference in the lettering and the difference in choices in the translation mm. and i i appreciate it it's a really nice apples and apples comparison i think mm. there's it's this nice mix of giving you the English translation of what the words are, but also keeping the energy of the original Japanese lettering, sound effect no. lettering. And that's not easy to do. Like even the, the, the words within the, the robot talking to him is a different mm-hmm. font and a more mechanical looking font. And these are small changes that I think enhance the storytelling. They do some fun things with lettering in this book. There's a story almost at the end of the book where he comes in, sort of diagonally into a panel like crashes through a window or a wall or something and all of his word balloons are actually tilted maybe from the original japanese and so they tilted the dialogue that was in them as well it was like oh that's actually like a fun little (laughs) thing that they carried over like they actually paid attention to and carried over from the japanese i'll throw it in the show notes but yeah the lettering is like you know fine i think they made some really good choices but the fact that they're willing to do fun little things like that and how much that they've whenever possible replaced sound effects but they've also left in sound effects when they're like really beautifully drawn which i think is like that hybrid approach knowing how much to change and not change is actually really difficult props to the letter and editor for for having having foresight to do that because it was it was gorgeous all the way throughout i thought 
Yeah. But it's always fun to play with the form like that. There's even a panel early on where someone gets scared and jumps and his head hits the top of the panel. <laughs> and there's only a few panels that are like explicitly like fourth wall breaking were in a comic book. Yeah. You know, most yeah. are tr- more traditional than that, but it's such like a cute and like kind of Tezuka ish thing. It feels yeah. like, but there's so much in here that like Ishinomori forgets about over the course of the series. Like a hundred pages in, there's this random bug lady that you never see again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> reporting to the boss, you know, and then it like goes to the man bat story. You're like, okay, well, that that's that, I guess. <laughs> or like when Moray Eelman saves Bugman or Spider Man, yeah, the beginning of that chapter. Moray Eelman is never seen again, and they even go to an underwater bad guys lair, and he's not there. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you're just inventing characters, and then like moving on, which is, <laughs> I think, if anything, strengthens the Kirby stuff or maybe it strengthens the claremont comparisons you were kind of <laughs> yeah hinting at as well it's like i'm gonna introduce a bunch of stuff that's gonna add texture and not actually mean anything i mean it's this whole thing where his scars show up when he's losing control or angry like orion from the new gods yeah yeah oh yeah yeah but i think my favorite thing in this book hands down is the resolution of the cobra man story oh. actually the the climax and the resolution where first they revealed that he was turned into cobra man but was already dating snake lady medusa which is a whole thing i've got several questions there (laughs) but the end of that story where like medusa's going wild and shooting and accidentally kills him and then kills herself and then common writers looking at it all happen and it's just like dot 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 ellipsis ludicrous (laughs) ending for a a child's book (laughs) yeah yeah but she's such a great designer i thought she was just crying over his body I gotta reread that. Yeah. No, she blew the back of her head off. It's crazy. Yeah, like at three thirty-seven, like she basically aims guns at her own head. And the oh guns are in- shaped like snakes because this is for children. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Because she, you know, killed her lover. Like she finally, she thought she killed Common Rider, but no. Kind of like in Devil Man, right? Where the the villain women are more interesting than the actual love interest woman. Yeah. yeah, she's like the second, mm. third woman in the book, maybe, and the first with a personality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 300 pages in. And her yeah. personality is suicide. Right? <laughs> Though I, I forgot to mention earlier, speaking of Devilman and Ishinomori, there's a Cyborg 009 and Devilman crossover animation series. I think it's two or three episodes long. Yeah. It's actually really good because it's mm. like the child-friendly version of Devilman. <laughs> so it's still super violent, but not quite as like grotesque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. This book, I you know, it's it's I'm really glad Seven Seas is putting out more of these. I mean, besides this, they put out Lupin the third book. Yeah, it's a great one. And then I think they're putting out a few more, but it's these this is such an important part of manga history. It it influenced so many other works mm-hmm. afterwards. And while it might seem really weird to read it for the first time now it really gives you great context for what came after. Mm-hmm. Deb, I just noticed you have like a hundred bookmarks in your copy of Common <laughs> Rider there, like on the top, like you've marked so many pages that you wanted to talk about. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, mostly I'm just like, I'm wowed up by like some of the, some of the double page spreads. Like some of them are just, just crazy. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's like artistically, it's just a, cool like he doesn't necessarily do the kind of action storytelling i like like the hardcore panel to panel but when he does break a panel into moments or break a moment into several panels it's always beautiful yeah and the scarf is a killer like design element 
it works on everything as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it's with Tezuka, right? This guy was so prolific and so busy working on so many series at once. He, like Tezuka, died at age 60, you know? Mm. He, has a, he has a Guinness Book of World Records for the most comics published by one author, like 128,000 wow. pages across 770 titles across yeah. 500 yeah. volumes. So he he gets the king of manga title, but you know at what cost, right? Like, yeah. And I I mean, I mean not that you know that was what he was going for, but I sometimes wonder like with like Tezuka, if he focused on one or two stories and just gave it his all, like Finland Saga, that's his only series, and he's giving it his all. Yeah. Current generations of manga creators have figured this out too, right? That it's more important to do good work and live long. Then just mm-hmm. pump out lots of subpar work because you know everyone talks about multitasking, but mm-hmm. no one can do it very well. And he's such a genius. I sometimes you know wonder, like with Tezuka, like what what would he have given the world if he just focused on one thing and did it exquisitely? Or maybe he that was just not possible. Maybe he had like a ADHD or just too many things he wanted to do. Or I don't know what forces drove him to do that does did he have assistance on this work he did yes 100 percent. yeah he had a whole company like yeah i mean one thing that comes up uh, we'll mention at the show notes but tokiwaso was a boarding house that tezuka lived in Mm. and several other legendary manga creators including ishinomori came to live there so they all lived together in this boarding house with no with no baths just cold water sinks they all lived in these little rooms and we saw that room in the furusato museum reproduced we saw a model of it in the museum the ishinomori the mangatana as well yeah. mm-hmm. it was right by where i took a picture of david sitting next to common rider and they reproduced it but it's just what what the the idea of this manga assistant thing came because these str- young struggling manga creators all helped each other out yeah They're like oh i gotta make a deadline come spot my blacks oh i gotta do this background you know like these many of them went on to become really famous manga creators but it kind of created it's been said that that's this is the roots of that system Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I guess that's kind of like how was it Eisner and Iger sort of created the separation of labor in American comics? Yeah, yeah. Ah, right, right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. A friend pointed out that the Bob Iger who runs Disney is related to the Iger from the Eisner Times. Really? And it like really? blew my mind. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Huh. Let's let's go around the table and get some closing thoughts. So let's go backwards. <laughs> Let's start with Chip. Closing thoughts. I really enjoyed it as a as a piece of art. The kind of kinetic energy that the comics should have more of. And uh, I have no idea who to recommend this to. <laughs> How about you, David? Common Rider is awesome. It's really fun. It's very pure. If you like superheroes that are just superheroes, like no commentary or anything like that. No keeping people alive. <laughs> yeah. No moral codes. But still very political. Like he's like, you know, like maybe we should take care of the environment. Like it's a really yeah. fun comic from that angle. And like the the constellation of stuff that is spawned from this is kind of impressive and imposing at the same time. How about you, Chris? Hmm. I was just looking at the list, and this is the selected works of Ishinomori on the English Wikipedia page. And it's like he maybe had while he was doing Common Rider in 71 and 72 eight serials that were going on at the same time maybe more like maybe not every month or every week but definitely there are 
eight titles. Um, actually, counting seventy-two, maybe he started like a hundred things right after *Common Rider* the manga ended. Like maybe twenty different series he's got going at the same time. Sometimes one volume, sometimes two, sometimes eight, and it's just like, and he still turned this out. Like it's, and he and his production studio obviously still turned this out. It's just wild to me. It's just so wild that this is <laughs> that, this, that this exists at all, and then it ran for four volumes, which really speaks to how popular that show was. And then he created a thing that lasted for generations. It's kind of awesome to get to discover stuff like this, you know, like not discover Columbus. There you go, Columbus stuff like this. I'll put that. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. <laughs> Very funny sketch about that. Yeah, I'm glad. Glad to have context for a visit that I really enjoyed with you guys to the museum with this work because i was never a power rangers kid so yeah this is like i don't know man i i I mentioned (laughs) i don't know that it landed well but i mentioned leafield's work on the on the devil man podcast someone who's just like wants to put lines down on paper and and like get stuff out there and make shit look as cool as possible and it's not always like for a pure reason like you know putting a splash page it's going to sell for five times as much as a page with six panels on it but there's something about that, like when you talk about really liking comics that have energy that like propel you through them, man, this is right there. And I think that that's who I'd recommend this to, like people who actually really like the, the comics part of comics, even divorced from some of the content of comics. I think that there's a lot to to look at here and to talk about here. Wonks. Wonks and academics, basically. Nerds. <laughs> you should read this. Yeah. Yes, you should read this. Deb, what was your final thought? Well, I guess this is such a nice little trip down memory lane for me. And also something where I think like Chip, I agree. It's hard for me to recommend this to a kid. It is very violent, but it Mm. is also, I think a kid would enjoy the action and the simplicity of it. It, I I mostly appreciate it now from the craft point of view. I love, I love how he, he's so inventive with how he handles his composition, how he, draws action and you see that he's 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 always trying to find a new way to do something and he he's doing some things that I don't see contemporary artists doing I see I see a creator who is just endlessly curious and uh willing to try something new and I I deeply admire that I I feel like you know in English manga publishing we spent a lot of time getting all of Tezuka out there and there is so much more to classic manga than Tezuka I'm so glad we're getting Gonagai, we're getting Ryoko Ikeda, Moto Hagyo. I think Shotaro Ichinomori deserves at least as much respect as Tezuka, so I hope this is just the start of more work that we'll see from him in English. Mm. All right, that was Common Writer. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back after this short little, hopefully lucrative commercial break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Manga Blind Date. This segment is brought to you by Viz Media, who sent us this book to check out. None of us have read it before, so we're just going into it blind. 
This time we're reading Record of Ragnarok, Volumes 1 and 2, written by Takumi Fukui, story by Shinya Uemura, and art by Azichika. It's a thing. It is, <laughs> it's translated by Joe Yamazaki, touch-up and lettering by Mark McMurray, and edited by Mike Montessa. Basically, here's the introduction. The Valkyrie Brynhilde has convinced the gods to give humanity a chance at redemption through combat in the Valhalla arena. Seeking a quick end to the proceedings, the gods present their first fighter, Thor, the Norse god of thunder. Facing him is a warrior said to be the strongest in the history of mankind, the legendary general, Boom. Alrighty then. So, let's go around the table and let's hear what you thought of Record of Ragnarok, Volumes 1 and 2. How about Chris first? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely. I was reading this. I'd actually I started reading this. I'm like, wait, is this what I heard about on like the internet months and months ago? And it was. And it was just like an epic battle manga where epic battles happen. <laughs> and that was and that was it. And it was there's nothing else to it. And you're either on board with that or you're not. And I was on board. It is, man. You know, it's funny because I, I actually came around on Raw Hero when we read Raw Hero by the end as starting out in a place and then ending up in a different place. The art looks very similar to, to that as well. And I was just in the right place for it. It is just like, it's just human grotesqueries fighting in the most insane ways that the mangaka, the writer, the script, the script writer and the artist can think of. Just throwing themselves. It's like, You've got action figures and you're just banging them together <laughs> as hard as you can. Oh my and it's, God, it's true. That, that, that sums it up. It's just awesome. Like if if you're if you want to see and it's not even oh man, how do I how do I it's not even like action figures, it's all customs. You know what I mean? Like it's not off the shelf action figures because they're all like we're just gonna keep making this anatomy more ludicrous and the movements more ludicrous. Everyone's moving, yeah, like Bernie Horgarth is rolling over in his grave looking at how these characters move in 3D space right now. Because it's just like every every joint is like quadruple jointed and like limbs are elastic. And it's just, man, you just want to see Lung Bu and like Thor swinging weapons at each other for like a, like 250 consecutive pages give her with some flashbacks thrown in this is your book this is your book you just want to see some people fighting man this is your book you don't want to see people fighting well this may not be for you <laughs> that's what i think about it <laughs> let's see. let's hear from chip well as a pacifist i just did not care for it <laughs> <laughs> right it's uh it's not it's not my thing that 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 was very evident very early on. Like I enjoy books with with violence and action, or else I wouldn't be making superhero comics. But that's just all this is. And like there's there's a couple of jokes that I really liked. Like saying that Adam, the original man who is one of the fighters, spoiler, yeah. <laughs> that he's the original minimalist, and it just is a <laughs> close up of the fig leaf. I, I did actually laugh out loud. <laughs> Great, but I, I and I, I, I'm this is this is a public service announcement. I'm begging, I'm begging all digital artists, please zoom out of the page 
like like each of these panels is drawn almost by a, a different studio or something like it's like the the amount of detail in some of these tiny panels and then you pull out and it's just like no details on a bigger panel like nothing nothing works together on a page but individually they're dynamic and interesting but like the the, the comic artist in me was just like oh please please treat the page as its own thing you're saying you hate detail then i love detail (laughs) but the detail has to have there has to be a consistency throughout that's all like a lot of these tiny panels are just like jam like they clearly zoomed in a thousand percent and like drew the panel then zoomed back out then zoomed into another panel at 500 percent and drew it it's intense it's it's super intense every 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 crowd shot is just drawn it's just like totally like as small as they could possibly like like maybe this guy's only six pixels but damn it all six pixels are there for every one of those guys <laughs> like it's just stadiums full of people and everyone's drawn and then you get like a semi close-up of like all the chinese warriors for example and it just goes all the way through the panel like it's so detailed like if you if you like that oh man this is the book for you like everything's yeah. drawn all the time all the time uh, deb what did you think this just felt like wrestling <laughs> like pro wrestling yeah yeah like, like it's just just over top goofy and, and like it's kind of like what we're talking about las vegas manga it's just like turn off your brain and just just enjoy it for what it is it's stupid it's over the top it's bloody and violent it's so sane in manga it's a capital s sane in manga it's a man's manga it's like <laughs> like published by this is not a man's manga. Oh, it is. Don't you dare. There is no female gaze in this at all. <laughs> Come on. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but Adam is not the hottest dude in this. Mo- like, Adam is beautiful. He is. he is. Every panel he's in, he is, like, just drawn immaculately. Like, he's so hot that one of the characters has to say, is he cute? Like, like he's sad <laughs> about it or scared. Like, I've never thought men were cute before, but Adam, oh, like, little heart emoji <laughs> in the text. So yeah, it is sorry. funny. I I, I, I did I appreciate the humor here. It was fun. <laughs> Lungbu and and Adam and even Shiva are all just drawn like. Oh, Shiva's hot. Yeah, slightly, yeah. slightly less <laughs> grotesque than everybody. Else. It, it is funny. Like you, you can tell they enjoyed making it. Like even the revelation of the 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 two pages of the combatants. Like yeah, I I, I laughed at that point too because like just above Adam in the order is Jack the Ripper. Yeah, and don't forget Nikola Tesla. I want to see that and battle. Tesla, right? <laughs> yeah. Has there ever been a book that featured both Adam the First Man and Jack the Ripper and Tesla? <laughs> if there was, I'm sure Alan Moore wrote it. It's true. I will put in a, a little <laughs> plug that I thought this was educational in a weird way. <laughs> sure, because I didn't really. I don't. I still don't know much about the Three Kingdoms era. So, like when it goes, mm. and here comes Lou Boo, and I'm like, who's this? And then, you know, then they basically explain who this is and the history and blah, blah, blah. Go, oh, sure. that stuff. Okay. And then you look at the rest of the human combatants. I think like a third of them are Japanese historical characters mm. who like, like some of them I know, some of them I don't know. So it's like, well, if you're into mythology and you want a different take on mythology than what Neil Gaiman gives you, here you go. <laughs> Very they should probably teach us in schools. You're right. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of says that we don't learn much about Asian history or mythology. But, Mm. you know, but also giving credit for the fact that his or her, Thor and Odin, look nothing like the Marvel version. 
Even the, yeah, ha- the hammer looks nothing like the marble bird. Like, yeah. It's almost aggressively so. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I avoided reading this book for a long time because all I could see was a picture of Aphrodite and that she has a tendon for each of her boobs to hold them up. Yeah. Because <laughs> <they're> like, <laughs> they are so big. Because they, lit- they literally are like the size of like, um, I don't know, potbelly pigs, one each. <laughs> like she's holding two potbelly pigs and... Anyway, that is a, uh. a visceral description, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but in the interest of fairness, her attendants also fully nude, and and honestly, her introduction, she is sitting on a dude, and his ass is like, I'm going to say a full third of that panel. Like, there's some equal opportunity. Like, this is this is like equal opportunity not only in the sexiness but in the grotesqueness. Like, in book two on page eighty eight where Brunhild turns around and yells at her little sister, she is gross, like <laughs> terrifying, yeah. angry. And it's like, do you know how rare it is to have a manga that's willing to make a beautiful, you know, female character look ugly ever in any moment, every female character, no matter how shonen or seinen battle manga it is, is always drawn beautiful. And to give her this facial expression that's on par with like the gross facial expressions that most of the dudes in this manga have is like, that's actually when I knew I was like, oh shit, this is something different. This is something that's like, maybe, maybe there, maybe there's more to this. And that's right before the Adam fight as well. And which is just like the, the whole Zeus entrance, the whole Zeus entrance is, is ridiculous. <laughs> You have to you have to agree that like Hermes is playing like a song and then he has like Bach and Mozart both reacting to it like this is what it sounds like when gods make music like it's legitimately <laughs> funny and they're doing weird dances like it's it's so over the okay, top. Okay, so sorry. Like, I, yeah, I I just want to sum up what what both Chris and Deborah saying. This is an educational radical feminist <laughs> tome <laughs> that should be taught to everyone. All right. I think it's just truly <laughs> equally. <laughs> offensive to everybody or exactly what those people want to everybody i i wasn't i wasn't quite sure but i found a thread on the internet where it was talking about yeah basically like yes i know this is kind of weird but or kind of sus but has everyone noticed like so many of the dudes in record of ragnarok are actually just really hot and it was like oh i didn't that was the of all the takes i expected to hear about this particular book that was not one of them. So yeah, it changed my opinion on this. I'm 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 totally I'm I kind of I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to wait for the we got to read the first two volumes. I want, do I want to wait for volume three or do I just want to go watch the anime that's out now? And I, I think the anime might have me. So anyway, record of Ragnarok. I did not expect to like it this much, and I totally had a fun time. All right, I'm, I'm kind of guessing Chip isn't going to go for a third date with Record of Ragnarok. <laughs> I, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious enough to see. I want to at least see what, what Tesla does. <laughs> I'm just saying. I might not follow it to the end, but I just want to see how that one goes. All right. We were talking about Record of Ragnarok by Takumi Fukui, Shinya Uemura, and Azuchika. It's available now from Viz Media in print and digital. Go to bit.ly Ragnarok Podcast to read a free preview. And we're back. This week, I guess we'll just do a couple shout-outs and call it a day. So who wants to go first? David, maybe? Yeah, let's do it. Since I nominated Chris earlier. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, my shout out this week is to Lost in Space on Netflix. It's on its third and probably final season, knowing the way Netflix books TV shows. But it's kind of, it's a remake of an old thing, maybe a remake of even the 90s movie. But it does a good job of keeping like the adventurous Fantastic Four kind of vibe. Like, I don't think it's Fantastic Four done right, but it's definitely kind of mining like that same kind of emotional vein. And I don't know it does a good job of like making the kids not annoying, which is really tough in some <laughs> shows, I feel. <laughs> yeah, good no graphics, kidding. good bad guys, decent banner. It's a little weedony sometimes, but overall, it's a really fun show. And I'm glad I stuck mm. with it through all the seasons. Nice. Yep. My shout out is Righteous Gemstones is back. Yes. And better than ever. And uh, David, have you watched the first episode? No, I'm doing it tomorrow. Oh, I really it's made for you and i you'll know by the end of the episode what i mean by that yeah i highly recommend it edie patterson is probably the funniest person alive she's a very quiet mvp yeah i'm sorry is the first episode that good like if if i watch it is it gonna hook me first episode or is it like it gets good do you remember tammy faye baker from the 80s oh god yeah I, i grew up in that i hated her you'll love it yeah crying and talking about other gays if you like if you like do you like danny mcbride stuff uh yeah it's all right yeah yeah it's like that dialed down a little bit so other people can be dialed up a bit that (laughs) makes sense yeah yep yeah cool it's good my shout out is actually you guys reminded me of something when you were talking about comics to movie sort of translations and why people stay in comics i just heard about this book by a guy who did a book i was something the wonder dog starts with a d Duncan. yeah Duncan the Wonder Dog. Yeah, that's it. That Ad House published. He's got an, he had a new comic and it went on hiatus because it's called Generous Bosom. It's published by Breakdown, who are uh, Breakdown Press. Sometimes manga publishers, Breakdown Press. It went on hiatus because it got ter- picked up as a movie. So it's going to be like an art housey, you know, festival circuit kind of thing. The title of the movie is Ultrasound, which is a best, much more commercial title than Generous Bosom. But he actually just came back and released the fourth and final issue. And it's like a monster. And it, I just read a really interesting sort of review slash interview thing on TCJ. I'll put the link in thing Sean McTiernan wrote. And it was just about the nature of how comics that sort of leave the comics space can suffer for it, especially when the author comes back to it because they've worked in this other medium and maybe what's special about comics is lost. And that is not the case in this one. It's like <laughs> the most art comics-y, impenetrable comics, comics ever. And also since I'm shutting them out, they also did, Ibisu Yoshikazu, who was extensively excerpted in one of the Frederick Schott books, either Dreamland Japan or Manga Manga. Uh, they did The Pits of Hell by him. They did Fukushima Devilfish by Katsumata Susumu, which is also a really heavy book that is maybe not manga, maybe manga explaining you one day. But they've got more manga on the way too. Yeah, Breakdown. They've, they're doing some interesting stuff. I'll link their website and I'll link the review of Generous Bosom 4 because it's like... Man, it did the it did the exact job a review is supposed to is to like make you curious about the book and, and want to check it out for yourself. So I feel like a visit to the Beguiling is in my future. Maybe through their <laughs> through their self serve window to pick it up because I don't want to go and restore right now. Anyway, so that was my shout out. Deb, have you got a shout out? I do, but it's something I guess I've mentioned a couple of times. Let's do it. I've got the latest volume of Blue Giant, which is the jazz yeah. manga. I love this so much. <laughs> it just gets better and better. This is covers volume seven and eight the next volume covers nine and ten which will complete the whole series Mm, it's so wonderful i mean i actually made a little spotify jazz list grabbing all the songs that he mentions in the series in order 
Oh, wow. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's, it's so awesome. cool. There's going to be an animated version of this story coming out this year. So I'm really looking forward to watching the story with music for a change. Like how, hoping it declared. Yeah, I was going to say, will they get the rights to the music for it? Or will it be like, kind of like... It shouldn't be hard because they've actually done collaborations with Blue Note Records. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, this is great. I mean, they mentioned a lot of... I learned a lot about jazz by reading this. And it's it's like mm. a grown-up shonen manga in that there's a, a scrappy guy who def- defies the odds to become a great jazz musician. You And the way that he frames it by these flashbacks... It goes forward in time when these people remember this person later. It's so, mm-hmm. I think it's really smart. And given how, well, let's just say it, the past couple of weeks have been kind of a downer. <laughs> Blue Giant cheers me up immensely. <laughs> nice. Do you think, do you think it's a manga explaining book? Because I've always wanted to learn more about jazz. My knowledge is really not very strong there. I would love to, ch- I would love for us to talk about Blue Giant because I think it's a different mm-hmm. type of seinen manga compared to what we've, you know, done before, which is, Violence and sex and stuff. <laughs> this is different. It's it is kind of slightly explainer manga, but I think it's just ex- exquisite to see how he's expressing music in comics form. Well, recommend it sometime. Maybe I'll pick it. We yeah, will work maybe. on that. <laughs> All right, this has been another manga speed episode. We're really glad you joined us. See you soon. There's more to come. Manga Explaining episode 47. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be reading The Blood Red Boy by Minami Chuta. Please consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.